Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, if I could invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me there. We'll be reading that as our text in just a moment. I want to welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and tell you this. I am glad that you are here this morning. Would you bow your heads, please, and pray with me? Father, we have... We've just sung about your holiness and we have sung about your love. We have read in your, in your word about your mercy. We heard a testimony, Lord, of your grace. And we are reminded, Lord, that this day, these few moments together are all about you. They are not about us. They're not what we want. They're not even necessarily about what we like. We are reminded, Lord, that it is you that gives us the ability to walk into this building that you gave sight to our eyes to see and voices to praise you. You are the one who gives breath in our, in our lungs that sustains life. And we pause, Lord, and we just want to say thank you. We want to say that we love you. And we thank you, Lord, most of all for the offering of your own son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross on our behalf. Father, we have a few moments, and I would ask that you would be glorified, that you would speak, and that we would hear. As your word says, he that has ears, let him hear. May we hear from you. May I hear from you. And may we learn and grow and may we leave knowing that we've heard from you. We ask these things in the strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. I read this quote. This week, Abraham Lincoln may have freed all men, but Sam Colt made them equal. Maybe you've heard of that name before. Sam Colt was the man behind the legendary Colt 45, a single action revolver that most little boys, including myself, grew up with, with a toy one on our hips. It was known as the Peacemaker, one of the first guns that could fire without reloading since 1836 in Union, Connecticut. Literally millions of them have been manufactured. They've been carried by the United States Army, the Texas Rangers. They've been carried by movie stars like Cary Grant and John Wayne. Even the Lone Ranger carried two silver-plated peacemakers to war heroes like General George C. Patton. Almost every single person has heard of this weapon that has been described so effective that the instruction went like this, shoot, and if you run out of bullets, you can bludgeon them into submission. It was a big weapon. It was a dangerous weapon. And in all honesty, when we speak this morning about the subject of making peace, that 
is the world's understanding of what it means to be a peacemaker. This morning, as we continue our series on the Beatitudes, on Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, I want us to concentrate on another kind, on another type, on another source of peace, and that is a peace that comes from above. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, here it is. Blessed, makarios, happy, spiritually satisfied are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I think it's very, very clear that the subject of peace, I want you to understand, is found all the way through this Bible. In the Bible, we are instructed to go in peace. We are instructed to greet one another in peace. We are to seek peace. We are told to speak peace. We are told to look for peace, preach peace, strive for peace. We are told that there is a bond of peace. There is the gospel of peace. There is the good news of peace. There is the Lord of peace, the peace of God, and the peace of Christ. More than 400 times we will hear reference to this word peace in the word of God. In the book of Genesis, the story begins... With what? With Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, man and woman who are living in complete peace with God. But then what happens? Genesis chapter 3, mankind believes a lie from Satan and there is a fall into sin. And all the way through the pages of Scripture, we realize and we are taught and we, Lord willing, learn that the only way... The only solution to the problem of sin is through a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is referred to as what? As whom? The Prince of Peace. The Bible concludes in the book of Revelation when what? The kingdom of God is going to be established and there will be peace for all of eternity. There is no doubt. No one can argue the fact that as we stand together as Bigwood's Bible Church, a, a church that is founded upon this, this book, the Bible, it is all the way through. It is all about peace. Even the world understands this. Why else does the Bible show up in places like courtrooms and hospital rooms and hotel rooms and jail cells? The Word of God constantly and consistently speaks about the need for peace between what? Between countries. As we read in the news, even this week, that are in absolute conflict. Neighbors who are acting nasty towards one another. Brothers who are battling. Friends who are fighting. Husbands and wives who are hostile towards one another. And most of all, this Bible speaks about the peace the personal peace that we can have with God, a holy God that we just sang about through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the situation is this, this morning, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, we, you and I, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, are to take this peace that is promoted all the way through the Bible, and we are taking, we are to take it into what? Into the marketplace. What is the marketplace? 
It's the workplace that you go to every day. It's the place of worship. It's our classrooms. It's our locker rooms. It's our living rooms and dining rooms. Can we do this? Can we do this? I find it interesting that when you and I greet one another, walk down the street and you see someone you know, you say, hey, how you doing? You say, hello. Some people today, young people will fist bump or guys on the athletic field will chest bump. Perhaps we can extend a hand and we can have a handshake in other cultures as people greet one another. They will greet one another with a hug or with a kiss or even a bow. There's some cultures that I understand that actually rub their noses together as a form of greeting. We don't really do that anymore. Weird. What's interesting is that when Jewish people greet one another, they use this words. They say shalom, which is what? It means peace. Now, what is interesting is the same idea applies from our text this morning. This word peace, shalom, is not a passive word. Understand this. A lot of our thinking is, well, I'm going to be peaceful, which means I'm going to sit on my rocker, on my front porch, and I'm not going to throw rocks at any neighbors, and so I am at peace No, that's a wrong understanding of what we're looking at this morning. This is a a word of action. This is not, I, I hope that you don't have any battles. No, this is a word that moves us intentionally into conflict. And we as believers are to make peace. It is an act of Word, bringing together people that are estranged. An act of peace is a peacemaker. So when the Lord Jesus Christ chooses this term in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus Christ is teaching a lesson, what? That you and I are to go into a world that we understand is, is filled to overflowing with strife. Every place we look, there is conflict. And then you exist. Later on in Matthew chapter 5, we hear about what? You being salt. We are to be light. We are to affect change. We're not to sit comfortably and watch the world embroiled in bitterness and conflict. You are to make a difference. I am to make a difference. We together are to make a difference. How do we do that? Understand first and foremost, there is what I call the source of peace. What is the source of peace? The source of peace is God himself that is revealed in the Trinity. You can write that down and remember that first and foremost, there is a source of peace and it is God himself Revealed in the Trinity. He is what we call a three-in-one being. Personally, as much as I have studied and searched and sought to understand, I believe that one of the most difficult doctrines, doctrines to comprehend as a human is the, is the, the Trinity, is the fact that we have a triune God. 
I know when I was a kid and my mom and dad handed me a book about the Trinity, about the apple. Remember the, the peel and the flesh and the core, three parts, one apple. And we've learned stories about the egg, the shell and the white and the yolk. But, but, but in all honesty, our finite minds cannot completely understand it. Until what? Until we begin to see something demonstrated. You purchase something, you look at it and you say, I don't know exactly know how it works. Until someone demonstrates it for you. That's exactly what God has done for us. God has demonstrated himself as a triune God so that we can begin to wrap our tiny little minds around him. And that's what he does here with the subject and source of peace. God the Father, first and foremost, is all about peace. As a matter of fact, one of the very names of God's in Judges chapter 6 and verse 24 is what? Is Jehovah Shalom. Lord's what is peace. Literally, it is who He is. The prophet Jeremiah quotes Jehovah Shalom and he says this in a very well-known verse that we have written on plaques hanging in our living room. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of what? Peace. The same principle is applied in the second part of the Trinity and that is God the Son, Jesus Christ. Think about what we celebrate at Easter time. When the angel announces the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2. What? He frightens the shepherds with this proclamation. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will toward men. Later when Lord Jesus Christ's ministry rides into Jerusalem on that very first Palm Sunday. The whole multitude with palm branches are celebrating and rejoicing and saying what? Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was even born, the prophets prophesied, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. It is all over. God the Father and God the Son. God the Father is peace. God the Son is the Prince of Peace. God the Holy Spirit is the one who not only applies, but He supplies true peace in our lives. One of the evidence, it's referred to as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, what is filling us, what is demonstrated, what is explained in Galatians chapter 5, what flows naturally from us, love, joy, peace. He is the spirit of peace. Romans chapter 14, Paul is writing and encouraging this church, challenging this church. And he says, what, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not physical but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I love, I love the description of the peace that is offered in Philippians chapter 4, described in verse 7, and the peace of God. This is something that you and I have experienced in difficult moments of our lives. 
the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. We can't even explain it. What does it say? Shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We are to be proponents of this peace. This peace that is given to us by the Holy Spirit that literally guards our hearts and protects our minds. First and foremost, the source of peace, you have to see it, is God himself revealed in the Trinity. Secondly, the enemy of peace is what? You know, it is sin and the promoter of all sin is Satan. Let me tell you this. Remember this. Satan hates peace. 400 times all the way through, this book arrives in the most difficult of situations. It proclaims peace. Understand this. Satan hates peace and he loves conflict. And the enemy right now is waging war. He is wrecking homes. He is wreaking havoc. He is causing more conflict and confusion, more distrust amongst even family members and discord and disunity and disaster erupts everywhere. They don't even know officially the the accounts of countries even this week, just since last week, where hundreds have been murdered through chemical weapons in Syria. In the country of Egypt, there's an upheaval where, where hundreds of people are being killed. And then we say, well, yeah, but that's, that's over there. They're always upset. They're always screaming and shouting and burning things and throwing rocks. We live here. No, it is in our country, right here. The people are still in conflict with one another. And you and I are called to enter that and to bring change. In the midst of all of this, we are called to be peacemakers. Understand this, that when we live and we have a a Christ-centered life, we live a God-honoring life. As you enter a situation, it is going to reveal what? It's going to reveal even more hatred. It's going to reveal even more conflict. Remember our series back that we've been doing in in the spring and we were talking about Stephen being stoned in Acts chapter 7. He was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Literally, in his calmness, they're throwing rocks at him. And as they're throwing rocks at him, it actually talks that there's there's a seething hatred. It continues to increase. There's peace and there's calm. And what? Something even broils up even more. In Psalm chapter 120, it kind of speaks of this. The psalmist writes, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Understand this. As long as hearts are sinful, there is going to be war. There's going to be conflict. The only solution is righteousness. The same thing must occur. What we talked about last week, blessed are the pure in heart. These build upon each other. How are, to we, how are we to be peacemakers unless we first and foremost strive to be pure in hearts? And that's our goal. That's what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do and who the Holy Spirit empowers us to be. 
Thirdly, the way to peace is what? The only way is the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. All the conflict, all the hostility, all of the anger, all of the hatreds, all of the horrible words that are spoken and the rocks that are thrown, the guns that are shot and the bombs that are exploded. The only way to peace is through the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I love the simplicity here. I love the satisfaction. I love the solution. It says, therefore, in Romans chapter 5, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way... The ultimate solution to all conflict is what? Is as a result of one of the most horrible and one of the most violent and heinous acts that has ever been created. That has ever happened, that has ever occurred on the face of this planet. And that was the murder of Jesus Christ. But as a result of that... Jesus Christ offered himself as an atonement or as a payment for all sin. All of it happened at the cross. Jesus Christ, once and for all, defeated who? The enemy of sin, Satan. And he knows it once and for all. He was defeated at the cross. Jesus Christ made peace for all At the cross. Jesus Christ wants for you. Your heart and your life. Perhaps with what you're wrestling with now. Or the conflict or the uncertainty. The unrest. Jesus Christ wants for you to be at peace. In your heart. In your life. Through his work on the cross. Let me tell you this. Those of you that accepted the Lord Jesus Christ that follow Him as Lord and Savior of your life, when you have experienced this forgiveness, when you recognize what? The, the conflict that was in your own hearts. And Helen shared even her testimony this morning, the unrest that was there, understanding the grace of God and receiving that forgiveness. It, you, you can't help but want to share that. You can't help but say, I want to offer what I have received. You can't help but be a peacemaker in the very worst, in the very worst situations. I have a good friend. His name is Brian, Brian Salk. And he is a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. And he was in one of the first pushes into Baghdad back in 2003. I remember sitting with him in my living room and he was explaining to me as his wife Celeste had, had these dangly earrings on that were made from portions of the chandeliers that they took down from Saddam Hussein's palaces. And Brian Salk, a big man, a warrior, Remembers the time they went into and some of the first ones into the palaces under this horrible regime. And they went through and they found these rooms 
They were actually torturing at one particular time, torturing people. And Brian described, he said, there was, there was an evil, there was a, a presence. It was horrible. As a believer, what was interesting, he says he moved through that particular palace. He said, of course, he had weapons all over him, a weapon on his side. But he said, you know what? I didn't keep my hand on my weapon. Instead, I kept my hand down on my leg because in my pant pocket, I had a copy of the Word of God. And he remembers, and he told me, he said, I was walking through with all of that sense of, of, of something that is hor- horrible and evil, and knowing all the bloodshed and the hate and the hostility, I kept my hand here because I knew that ultimately is the only solution. It was interesting to know, and a lot of people don't realize this as far as what has happened in Iraq in the years. Listen to Gail Murphy, excuse me, Carol Murphy from the Washington Post who writes several years ago, back in 2005, she says this, during the U.S.-led invasion in 2003, American evangelicals made no secret of their desire to follow the troops. Samaritan's Purse, the global relief organization led by the Reverend Franklin Graham, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, the country's largest Protestant denomination, were among those that mobilized missionaries and relief supplies. Why do we say this? There were actually several evangelical organizations that moved into Iraq in that time. And there was an immediate surge. There was an explosion of churches in Iraq in 2003, 2004, and 2005. But what happens from 2005 until 2013, till this year, the Assyrian International News Agency has reported there's been estimates of more than 900 Christians that have been killed and more than 60 churches have been burned or bombed. As a result of that, what? As a result of that persecution, Christians have had to move out from that area. And as they move out, what happens? They plant churches in every single place as they continue to move out through the Middle East. Isn't it interesting? It's beyond interesting. Isn't it fascinating to know what, what man meant for evil? God meant for good. We see that all the way through when there is a message of what? Of redemption that is offered through the Lord Jesus Christ. How else will there ever be peace? Fourthly, and finally, there is the blessing of peace that is in store for us. What is it? It says that we shall be called the sons. Some translations use the children of God. Blessed, happy, are those that aggressively go in, intentionally making peace. Why? They shall be called the sons of God. It speaks not only of our identity, who we are, but the fact that we are heirs of the one most high God. Remember the entire purpose of the Beatitudes, our entire study 
on listening to Jesus, learning from Jesus, and Lord willing, living like Jesus, is that these Beatitudes are not, not something beyond us. They're not unattainable goals. I don't want to describe that, but they're, they're mile markers. These are things that actually can be achieved when we desire to listen to, to learn from, and live like Jesus. When we are told, when we are taught to be peacemakers, that is what? That is the very way that Jesus Christ acted. We should want to do the same thing. We are told to be peacemakers. That is the way that children of God act. I'm becoming increasingly, maybe it's because I'm just getting old. I'm getting increasingly more bold. When it resonates throughout Scripture. Why do you call me Lord, Lords? I'm not do the things I say. Either call me Lord and obey or what? Or stop calling me Lord. We don't need people who claim to be followers of Lord Jesus Christ and have no desire to be obedient to His Word when it says what? You and I have a responsibility and we are equipped and empowered through the Holy Spirit. We are given the Word of God to make peace because that's what true children of God do. And so it's not sitting and listening and saying, that was really neat. It's getting fired up to do what God has called us to do. It's not being complacent. It's not being stagnant. It's aggressively going out. We become like our Heavenly Father. Very quickly in closing, I remember I've been reading very carefully, just on a personal level, through First and Second Samuel. I remember the story I read recently about King Saul who was hunting all over the, all over the place for David. He's jealous of David. He hates David. And in all honesty, he just wants David dead. He sees him as a troublemaker. And we know in two particular times, David actually has opportunity in 1st Samuel 24 and 1st Samuel 26 to actually just kill Saul. Stumbles upon him sleeping. Everyone around David just says, do it. Just run him through. He's a headache. He is a heartache. What does David say? He says this, as the Lord lives in 1 Samuel chapter 26 and verse 10. This is after the second time he has opportunity to kill him. David says this, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day will come to die. The Lord forbid that I should put my hand, that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. What does David do here? He trusts in what? He trusts in the sovereignty of God's. And he he knows that vengeance is the Lord's. Because we hear a lot of hostility. We hear a lot of horrible things. And rather than what? Taking our six shooters... We're bludgeoning them to death. We follow the example of David. The peace of God controlled David's hand and the power of God controlled him. We, we remember this, that this idea of a peacemaker is not just what a pacifist, someone who sits quietly on the porch. Peacemaker is one who does not avoid battle, but instead transforms 
battle into a ministry of reconciliation. Can you do that? Will you do that? And so I would ask at this very moment, as I oftentimes do, listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. You know that there are areas of conflict, perhaps even in your own life, in your family's life, extended family's life, in your neighbor's life, in our community. Pray and allow the Holy Spirit to move you out of your comfort into the midst of that conflict. And strive for the Word of God and the Spirit of God to make peace because that's what you as the children of God, that's what I, a child of God, together we are to do. That's who we are. Let's remember that. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you and I praise your name for your love for us. I, I thank you, Lord, that you allow us to live in a world's that is in need of peace and that you give to us a means of peace through yourself, through your word to us. Father, we ask that you protect us as we go into battles. Help us to be wise, to be humble, and to speak truth in love. And ultimately that you would be glorified. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with us, please, as we close.